What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I am your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad. It incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving our kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and definitely messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. Wow, what a great conversation I had with Tom Ziegler. The Ziegler family name is legendary. Tom is the CEO of the Zig Ziegler Corporation, which has been inspiring and equipping leaders around the world for decades. Being able to connect with Tom is incredible because not only is he an incredible and inspiring father and leader, but his father was as well. It goes to show that the role the father plays in their children's life is critical because they are passing down habits, values, and wisdom to the next generation. Tom's father, Zig Ziglar, has left this world, but his legacy lives on through his teachings, his books, and as you will hear, through his son, Tom. This, my friends, is what it's all about. Get ready to be inspired, and if you are, please share it and write a review, as my goal is to hit 100 reviews on iTunes by my 100th podcast, which is just around the corner. Fatherhood is critical, my friends, and you and I are responsible to let the world know. Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. I'm so excited to be talking to Tom Ziegler today. Tom, how are you? I am better than good, but that's like genetically required. (laughs) Man, I've been like a kid waiting for his friend to come over all day, you know, like, is it, is it time yet? Is it time? Excited to talk with you. Um, Our mutual friend, Thomas Blackwell had introduced us and he said you would be a wonderful father to talk on the Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. Well, he's a good man. I appreciate that uh, endorsement and you having me on. That's pretty cool. I'm going to start a little different than normal. So when he had introduced us and I'd reached out and I was really excited, you know, because I mean, I'm in sales. So obviously I know the Ziegler name and have read books and been inspired, you know, over my, let's see, 17 years of sales. Um, And when he introduced us, I actually stumbled on, you know, doing some research, your book, Choose to Win. And I had had surgery two weekends ago, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to dig into this book. And I bought the audio audible version, which I love that you were the one to read it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to dig into this, um, and I'll get to know you a little bit because I'll hear your voice for five or so hours, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I was laid up all weekend, and I, I mean, I'll eat up any book like this, okay? But... I am so excited and I've ordered several more copies of it. The book's called Choose to Win and that's not even what connected us. We just connected to talk fatherhood. But I wanted to point out this book because what really stuck out to me was a couple things. You know, everybody's talking about, not everybody, but a lot of business is talking about the why, you know, asking why you're doing something. Um, and so that's the first thing I just want to want to touch on. And then the second thing is the way that you incorporated your faith into the book uh, was a challenge to me in my own life, you know, because I think that's one of the dilemmas is how much do you reveal of who you are when you're out in the business world and the way that you didn't hold back at all. I mean, I don't think that this is a, you know, necessarily a faith based book, but you didn't hold back who you were. And so I just really valued that. Awesome. You know, my, my personal mission statement, uh, which goes everywhere. So, 
it works at home with your kids and it works uh, in the boardroom with, with a bunch of executives. My, my, my mission is to create the atmosphere that allows you to become the person God created you to become. Hmm. And so that, that kind of like sets this expectation that wherever I go, I mean, not only do you need to be prepared and have the right attitude, but you've got to understand you're there for a bigger, bigger purpose than you can even imagine. Right. So you create, and I think that's what our kids, uh, when they look at their parents, when they look at their dad, they're, they're trying to, they're judging how they should act off of what dad's doing. And so that's, that's kind of my, you know, kind of my driving force and everything uh, that I do. And then it, it works well. I've, you know, I've never had somebody say, you know what? I just spend too much time with my family. Right. Right. <laughs> never, never been said. Right. And, and so we approach it from that perspective. Hey, wait a second. Life is more than just one segment of our life. It's the whole combination. And so we want to, we want to be intentional about the legacy that we create. Yes. And some of the words, I mean, just straight out the gate of the book about legacy, about why and about replacing your bad habits with good habits because you are, you know, creating a legacy for your family. I think, you know, a lot of times we'll look at this, those kind of words and this kind of content and think, oh, business, 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 or, or, you know, nonprofit organization, whatever. But how much more important is the home and the role you've been given as father, where those words, as far as why am I serving my family? What is the legacy? Why am I replacing my bad habits? I mean, critical if you're going to be a father to those, to those kids. Yeah. And you know, when the, when the pandemic came on and everybody got stuck at home and everybody's world got uh, turned upside down, I had come up with this definition of legacy a little before Mm. this. And, you know, legacy is really uh, teaching and working with those we love so they can grow through life's most difficult challenges. Mm. And so that's legacy. So if I could teach my kids one thing, it would be, it would be, how do you handle life's most difficult challenges? Cause we can't, you know, we can't prevent the challenge from coming. Right. And, right. I mean, it's going to come. It's just the right. reality. Uh, one of my friends is Andy Andrews and, in you know, he has a statement. He says, most people think the greatest generation was the generation of men and women who fought World War II. But they weren't. It was their parents. Mm. And think about it. The parents raised those kids during the Great Depression. Yes. Ooh, and so, through the struggle. Yeah. So yes. for all the, for the dads right now, what I would, what I would say is, we're either going to be a victim in reacting to this culture that's nothing but bad news or we're pouring into our kids and we're raising the greatest generation our nation has ever had. Wow. That's powerful. So before I ask my actual first question, then let me ask you this. What do you think, you know, as a father, we would all agree that we are the provider and protector, but we live in an interesting time where, uh, there's such a heavy focus on our kids' happiness, okay? Uh, or that our kids are having fun or, you know, extracurricular activities and and kind of hiding them and keeping them safe. What's your opinion on that? You know, especially during a pandemic like this and just in life, if we're going to raise kids who are ready for situations like this, how do we parent them? 
<laughs> well, you can solve that problem in just the next two minutes. That'd be great. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> so I'm going to borrow from Andy Andrews again. And I don't know. Okay. He, I don't know if he made this up or he got it from dad. He, yeah, uh, my, my father was like a father to him. Okay. Uh, but Andy's the one I'm going to quote. Cause I remember him saying, he, he said, you know, our, our responsibility is not to raise good kids. Mm. Our responsibility is to raise good adults. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if it's really easy, you know, if your two-year-old wants to go play in the street, well, it's easy to say no, right? They could get hurt. Right. Mean, that's not safe. Well, they ask the same question when they're six, when they're 10, when they're 15, different different areas hey can i get a smartphone can i go to that party uh you know these are the, it's the same question and so what are we doing are we trying to raise uh, adults are we trying to intentionally create a legacy or are we trying to make them happy and pretty soon we know that um make trying to make somebody happy just doesn't work yeah yeah that's really good. Okay, so a couple quick questions to get people to know you. Um, how long have you been married? Been it'll be thirty three years. Now there's a little caveat there. Okay. Uh, our next wedding anniversary is actually our sixty fifth anniversary because we got married twice. My wife is from Mexico. And so the first wedding was here in the States. And then one week later, we got married in Mexico. And and we did that. We did the legal wedding here with the marriage license and then the big church wedding there. Uh, but we did that just to make it easier on, on you know, going back and forth and travel and everything. Right, right. So we get two anniversaries every year. So, so you've been married 33 years then? 33 years uh, coming up in... Uh, October. Fantastic. And then how many children do you have? We have one daughter. Her name is Alexandra. Uh, she's 25 and I get the pleasure. She, we work together. So, uh, very cool situation. I was, I have a business partner. His name is Howard Partridge and, and, and his company does a lot of business coaching. And so he's our exclusive small business coach. Okay. So she works for him in his company, but 98% of what she does is for our company. Got it. So that's a pretty cool situation then. So I get to work with her every single day, but I don't manage her, which is cool. I'm sure that makes it a good, a good working relationship then. So what I wanted for her as a dad is I wanted a great mentor. I, I wanted uh, somebody besides me mm -hmm. who was, who in whatever field she wanted to go in, I wanted her to find that. And so, Howard is amazing. I mean, this she's got a full-time coach uh, with him. Yeah, so let me ask you that then. So, you know, obviously your dad, Zig Ziglar, um, just world-renowned legend. Did he have a similar mindset where he wanted you to have other mentors other than him as well? And, and how did that, you know, that could just be a kind of a quick question, but, but what did that look like? He did. Uh, so what happened in my career is when I when I was in college, I played college golf, and I thought I was gonna I was gonna be a PGA Tour player, right? Okay. So I was practicing. So I graduated from school, uh, traveled and did tournaments, and I was good. But I never got 
that level, right? Mm. Uh, got married, went to work at the company uh, when I was 22, first in the warehouse, and then in production. You know, we produced our own cassette tapes, and yeah. and, then I, and then I moved. So I kind of worked my way through. Uh, and so, just the backstory is, you know, when you work in your family business, a lot of times you don't know if you're getting uh, honest, truthful feedback. I think I was, right? But I'm the son of the boss, so right. and so I wanted my daughter to have the experience of working somewhere else before she worked for us because I wanted her to get that experience. Now, then I started studying uh, Jewish tradition, which from a business perspective, I mean, there isn't anything more solid. Well, so my thinking was kind of wrong. Actually, in the Jewish uh, tradition, the kids, they go and work in the family business, Mm. but it's different. Uh, The father takes a direct role in mentoring them as successful people in the business. Whereas in, in maybe Christian culture or Western culture, whatever you want to say, it's, it's hit and miss, right? There's not, yeah, there's There's not not a set standard. There's not a tradition in that. Right. And so I actually believe that from a faith perspective, yeah, you absolutely do want to have your family come and work for you, but, you've got to treat it as your number one priority and you've got to be the right leader, the right mentor to your kids in a business environment. I really like that a lot because I, I mean, I do have that sense. It's almost like we just want to send our kids away, you know, and, and not that that's bad either, but it's almost like just the Western mindset of just be independent and just go off and do your own thing. But then there's that sense of community that really deep down we're all lacking and, and feeling for, and I think it's because things like that, uh, which I think would just be a fantastic book idea for you. So, um, okay, I'm going to rip through a couple questions. Then I want to just dig into to maybe a little bit more of that. What's been the best resource to you? Well, you know, before I ask you that, if you could say, because we've kind of danced around it a little bit, what is it that you do? What is your role right now? So I'm the CEO of Ziegler Inc. and Zig Ziegler Corporation. So Zig Ziegler was my father. And he's very well known. We have 5 million Facebook fans. Uh, he wrote, <laughs> actually, he's 45 of books are out now. Uh, and nine of those have been published since he passed away. Wow. Incredible. Because, because you take audio and you transcribe it. So literally in the personal development, uh, motivation, self-help uh, industry, a lot in sales, he's, he's a household name. Yeah. And yeah. so that that's where I was raised up. And, you know, dad learned early on that skill and technique was important, but insignificant compared to character and integrity and relationship skills. Mm. And so that's how I was raised. Uh, and so the resource, I mean, it's, it's, it's like I'm sitting next to the well. Right. Okay. Right. So, so, you know, I was telling you about Jewish tradition so dad was friends with Rabbi Daniel Lappin, who's, who's now one of my friends and one of my mentors. So not only was dad a resource, but I have access to all the people, his peers and people he influenced that I can contact. So 
you know, Dave Ramsey was influenced by dad. Seth Godin was influenced by dad, dad. And now I can reach out to them and have conversations. So two incredible men right there. Just blessed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Great. So that, that answered the resource question too, then when you think about the role of the father and you kind of said it already, but, but what do you think the role of the father is? You know, um, the, the first is to set the example. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of part of where my mission statement comes from, to create right. the atmosphere. Uh, and so the first example you said is with your faith. You know, dad's, dad said over and over, and, and, I, and I can just hear the words in my head and, and what he would teach is he says, hey, when I bow down before God and in humility and humbleness, look at all the gifts, everything that I've received. And I have, I have all, you know, this standard, this way of doing life based on that. When my kids see me do that, that allows them to accept authority because they see me under authority. Yeah. And then, you know, the example of faith, then it's the example with your spouse, with your, with your wife. Uh, you know, mom was number one. I mean, there was no mm. ifs, ands, or buts. And there was this, this home, dad called it the home court advantage. And those two were a team and they had each other's back and same principles, same values. Uh, I never heard them argue. I mean, mm. I never, I never heard them. Yeah, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they went off and had their discussions like normal people do. Uh, but that was just that. And then, mm. so from there, uh, you know, there's a proverb that says, raise up a child in the way they're bent. And in the Hebrew, that bent means God, you know, the principles and values don't change, but every single one of us is unique. So right. you got, you said you have five kids. Mm-hmm. Are they all the same? Or are they all different? Every one of them's different. That's right. And so we have to use wisdom and know that, you know, one child, a gentle, firm voice and a look in the eye will get the results. The next child, you know, <laughs> they need some hands-on attention sometimes. But the, the the point is, is that everyone is different. Right. Right. And so then the role of the dad is to dig into that, to figure out, okay, how do I lead each one of my kids? The principles and values, the right and wrong doesn't change, but the relationship, the way we communicate, does so i really like that because each of us as a man we we want to be wanted we want to be needed we want to be valuable and so much of the time we look to fulfill that in maybe a hobby or business or outside of our home which are good things to do but it can't replace that primary desire we have and the fulfillment that can come in our home so it's like if i look at that as an opportunity to get to know each of my kids and be in tune with them it really hits the the heartstrings of being valued and needed. And because those kids are relying on me to be their guide. And it's up to me to really figure that out. And what an exciting adventure I get to do if I embrace it. So I really like how you put that. Yeah, it's there's nothing more fulfilling. Well, you know, I, you know, I can remember as a kid, uh, dad loved golf. So we played a lot of golf and he was unbelievably competitive. <laughs> very competitive. Oh, and he gave everything he had. Now he didn't have enough time to practice. So when I started playing golf, I obviously had the time to practice. Uh. Nothing made him prouder 
than watching me perform at the highest level. Yeah. He never minded losing. He only minded not giving everything he had to win. I like that. So there was never a cheap victory. There was never uh let him win, right? I knew it, you know, but, and so that's, that's a cool thing, right? And so instead of trying to beat your child or demand perfection out of your child for him and me, it was, man, what's the, what's the best effort you can put in there? Right. Which I think that we get confused on a lot in our culture about what competition is and what it means to be competitive. A lot of times it's just cocky arrogance where that's just about your ego versus I want to do my best and I want to compete against somebody who's also doing their best because it's actually going to drive me to do even better than I did before. So we're both learning, growing and enjoying it versus it just being this cocky ego attitude. Yeah. I mean, I can remember um, in competition, one of the, one of the events that I was most proud of, I didn't win. Mm. I got got beat. That's good. I got beat by somebody better uh, and almost won. And hit a lot of shots under pressure. Uh, See, that's so cool because that's what it's more about, right? You remember that as being this moment where you did probably far better than a lot of times you did win. Right. Absolutely. Mm. And and I, that's a lesson that our kids need to see. It's, you know, and, and a lot's been written on this and we've been teaching it for five decades. Uh, the terminology today is the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. Uh, right. Car- Carol Dweck uh, wrote the book Mindset, and and so yep. what a fixed mindset is: I can't change. Uh, I am who I am. There's nothing I can do about my gifts, talents, my IQ, anything. And when something gets really hard, then I'm just going to go do something else that's easy. A growth mindset is like, man, the harder it is, the better, because you know what? I learn more when it's harder, and it's all about the learning. Right. And if in, in leadership and in business world, it's, it, it gets fixated on, and I use the word fixated on purpose on results, right? Instead of growth. Mm. And when you're in a pandemic, here's the problem. When you're in a pandemic and you're fixated on results and the whole world has changed, you, you keep trying to do something that's not going to work because, because the whole environment's different. So a fixed mindset, while it might, it, it might maximize results over a short period of time, when the black swan shows up, the, the people who know how to grow, they, they love it. They embrace it. They pivot and they move right on to the next thing. And that's the way life is. And that's what we got to show our kids is it's not, you know, dad had the quote, it's not what happens to you that's important. It's how you handle what happens to you that really what counts. If- yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's easy. I mean, to use your example, to use like pandemic or business or, you know, those kinds of things that come through life, but think of regardless of what's happening in our world, the consistent issues that come up in a home life or family life, marriage, kids, if you could have that mindset of a growth mindset, I mean, how, how many more families would stay together? How many more families would you see in a growth mindset versus this fixated mindset? Like you're saying that it's supposed to be a certain way and we become react reactive versus really being in tune with what's happening so that we can all grow together. It's really good. Yeah. In the book, choose to win. We talk about the seven areas of life, 
mm-hmm. the mental, which is our mindset. It's the way we think the, the spiritual, which is our character, our integrity, our faith, our physical, which is our exercise, our sleep, all those different things. And then the fourth is family. Okay. And then it's, then it's financial, personal and career. And so that was intentional. The reason family came forth is because we've got to have the right mindset, the right, the right spiritual values and the right physical health to be the right example to our kids. Yes. And then the thing that happens is a lot of people will say, well, I've got a growth mindset, but when you dig into it, they might have a growth mindset in just a couple of areas. Like they might have a growth mindset in business. Right. Or in their physical spoke. But then when you dig into the family, a lot of times they'll just say, well, you know, this is the way I was raised. This is the, this is the wow. way. Yep. And no, that's not it. What you've got to understand is it's like one of the things that I don't understand is if you ask somebody, Hey, how's your relationship with your wife? And they'll say it's an eight out of 10. Oh, well, you know, there's a marriage conference. There's a book, there's an online program. No, it's an eight out of 10. That's pretty good. Why wouldn't you want it a nine? Right. Yeah. Same with, same with kids, with your, with your kids. Oh, I've got a great relationship with my, why wouldn't you want a little bit better? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. That's really good. And again, I don't think it's, you know, I think sometimes people will go, Oh, well, why are you always trying to grow and be better? You know, I get pushed back on that word better sometimes. And it's, it's not that you're not content or, or happy with today. It's that, you know, that you've been given this opportunity to have a, a great marriage or a great relationship with your kids. And you want to continue to pour into that. You want, it's just like, if you had a hobby, wouldn't you want to be better next year than you are this year? I mean, we wouldn't say that about our golf game or our skiing technique or whatever, but like you said, we have this growth mindset in other areas and we become kind of, you know, fixed mindset, um, in probably areas that matter, matter more. Um, really, really good. Okay. This podcast is fatherhood field notes. You're already doing it. You've opened up your field notes, sharing wisdom, nuggets, life, um, but the mantra behind it is rebel and create. And the idea with this is, you know, that, that we as men, we're fighters, we're warriors, and we are going to rebel against something, but not for the sake of, you know, just wrecking something, but that we know that there's opportunity to create something on the other side. So it could be something as small as I'm rebelling against being on my cell phone at the dinner table so that I create better conversations with my spouse to I'm rebelling against the status quo whatever, so that I can create something else. So what's something that you're rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of it? (laughs) You know, what I'm rebelling against is the lies that the world tells us and they're everywhere. They're constant. Yes. And, And we hear those lies over and over and over again. And then we tell those lies to ourselves which is the worst thing you can do. The most powerful story in the world is the story you tell yourself. And so if I'm rebelling against that, then what I'm trying to create is every single person has a place in their soul for the truth. Mm. And so what's the opposite of a lie? It's the truth. The truth can't contradict itself. So I'm trying to create that atmosphere that allows people to see the truth. And, you know, for example, the world says, well, truth is relative. I mean, you've got your truth and I've got my truth. And I'm like, no, that's not the definition of truth. Truth does not contradict itself. And that's a hard one, right? 
that's, in today's day and age, it's a hard one. That's a hard one. And, you know, I'm on the board of a, of a Christian camp. And, you know, about once a year, uh, you know, we'll have the big board meeting. And about every couple of years, they'll do this journey through time. And they'll talk about, uh, you know, what was it like camping in the 60s and in the 70s and in the 80s and in the 90s? Okay, because the challenges have changed. We know what right. that is. So the number one challenge is is relative truth. I mean, with our youth, you can say, hey, here's here's the plan, right? Here's God. And they'll go, yeah, I believe that. And then five minutes later, somebody else will say, well, here's the plan. And it's like completely contradictory. And they'll say, yeah, I believe that. And so now you've got somebody, you know, it reminds me of the funny story. Uh, my friend was on an airplane. His name is Chris Dunham. He's from India. And this was after 9-11. And so he's sitting on the plane. There's all this tension. And so he would get his Bible out and he would open it up while people were boarding the plane. It was like his way of, you know, kind of de-escalating. So this guy sits next to him and looks at him and says, are you one of those Christians? And Chris is like, well, I don't know what you mean by one of those Christians, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. And the guy said, okay. And he sat down and then three minutes later, he looked at him and said, well, I just want you to know I'm an attorney. I don't believe in any absolutes. And Chris said, are you absolutely sure? Because what he said was a contradiction. You see, the term there are no absolutes is an absolute. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the that is the biggest frustration with the whole intolerant app, you know, not absolute truth is is that statement right there. Yep. So there are absolutes. Absolutely there are absolutes. And so well, he was quick on his feet. Yeah. Well, he's an evangelist and <laughs> so oh, it wasn't his first rodeo. Yeah, so uh, studied and spoke on the stage many times with Ravi Zacharias and mm -hmm. uh, just kind of a legend in our in our world. But, you know, we, we, so as, as parents, uh, we've got to have a defense. We've got to have an answer as a dad when our kid says, well, everybody else is doing this. Well, what do you think? We, we got to know where, where we stand, because if there aren't absolutes, then that just degrades into chaos. Hmm. Hmm. Man, this is, it's, it's powerful, you know, cause I have five kids, uh, ages, uh, seven to 14 right now, you know, and it's like that balance, it's that balance. It doesn't exist. Um, you know, you got Netflix telling your kids one thing and whatever you would let them see on that and you telling them another and school telling them another. And, and, uh, something that's really been on my mind lately is, can I ask you how old you are? 55 55 okay i'm 37 something that i really has just been amazing is the last four podcasts have been the 65 year old the 64 year old the 60 year old um and and now talking to you and something that is just so just pressing is like right now it's almost like i don't care if anybody hears this podcast in the sense that i'm gaining so much just hearing it from you like i do want other men to hear it but my point is this I feel like we're, we're just so missing out on, I mean, you, you know, you're 15, 20 years ahead of me. Um, your daughter's 25. I mean, your wisdom to be able to share is so powerful for me to hear. And that mentorship, like we talked about before is you need men speaking into your life who have been there, done that before you. 
and and it's critical and it's like we're losing that a little bit partly because of technology right um just because it ha- changes so fast i think sometimes a 25 year old doesn't think they need anything from a 60 year old they're like what are you going to tell me that i can't figure out without you so anyways just something that's that's been on my mind cool you know um, you, you said a word that i want to go back to uh, yeah please earlier you said the word tolerance um that's like become the virtue of our time. Everybody's got to be tolerant. And I just, I tell people I'm not a fan of tolerance. I don't believe in it at all. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I, I want to hear more about that. <laughs> so <laughs> let me tell you what I am a fan of. I'm a fan of love. Mm. Okay. So here's the thing. Tolerance is actually a cop out. If, if somebody's driving their car towards the cliff If you're tolerant, you just wave and watch them go by. There's no risk in tolerance. If you love them and you've been down that road, you'll stand in front of the car. You'll wave them over. You will risk the relationship to say, hey, you know what? You might want to think about what you're about to do because that's going to hurt, right? And so here's the ultimate test. just ask your kid, you know, you've got five kids. Do you want them to tolerate you or do you want them to love you? Mm. <laughs> do you want them to yeah. love you? Yeah. And so I get the opportunity to speak all over the world, you know, audiences of, of all faiths, no faiths, all preferences. And I just tell the room, look, is it okay, regardless of your political affiliation your faith or no faith, your lifestyle choice, or even if you don't like Dallas Cowboys, is it okay if I just love you? <laughs> I mean, come on. That's what we're here for. Now, here's something that's cool. I've got a lot of really good friends who I love, and we don't agree on everything. And that's really what we need more of right now, right? Yeah, we need to love. We yeah. need to love. To have a disagreement, but still break bread together, have a disagreement, but still love each other. I mean, that's, I mean, really, I think that's what God's intention for marriage was, you know, at the core of it, the, the, the family, that, that unit is what's supposed to be the greatest example of that. You know, being married is hard. It is so hard, but it continues to teach me to love in a way that I'm, 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 not just thinking of myself and I'm making compromise and I'm considering, but, but I'm also considering, not considering, I'm also living, believing that there's truth. Absolutely. And so in the business world, one of the things that I teach, this is how we do business. We do it uh, at the highest standard with the deepest grace. Hmm. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, the highest standard is the truth. And so in our business, we're going to say, if we want to make a profit in our business, can we do that if we have no standards? If it doesn't matter when it ships or what the quality is or what we charge? No, we can't. So the higher we set our standards, the better chance we have of a successful business. And guess what? People love to grow. They stay where they're growing. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the higher the standard, the more room for growth everybody on the team has. Yeah. Now also believe in the deepest grace. So if you're working with people, guess what they're going to do? They're going to mess up. (laughs) They're going to do bonehead things. 
you know, some of it intentionally, some of it unintentionally, right? They didn't know any better. They, they weren't taught right in the beginning. And so the more grace we can extend, so think about this, the deeper the grace, the more room for growth. People love to grow. And I tell people, uh, especially from a, from a believer standpoint, we lead with the grace. When the people see our grace, then they'll buy into our standard. Wow. When they don't see our grace. Uh, it's a, and of course, we got the perfect example uh, when, when the religious leaders of the time, they, they brought the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they tried to trap Jesus and say, according to the law, we should stone her. What do you say? And he said, Jesus said, and he wrote in the sand first. And I want to know what that is someday. Yeah, yeah. What did he write? <laughs> uh, he, he said, uh, who, who, you without sin cast the first, he was without sin cast the first stone. And they left one by one. And then he looked at her and he said, no one here condemns you and neither do I. That is the deepest grace. Mm. And then he says, now go and sin no more. That is the highest standard. He didn't compromise the standard in the offering of the grace. It's so beautiful. I love the, I love the example or the words, the highest standard with the deepest grace, because you're making this spectrum where on both ends, it just gives opportunity for people to grow. And I think that's the one that we really, I mean, I had a conversation with a dad just yesterday about, about the grace piece, you know, having this expectation for your kid or whatever. Um, and I think we're all on board for the high standard but really, when we know, when we think about ourselves and we look at ourselves in the mirror, we know we need the deepest grace because we know right. our own thoughts. We know our own stories. So, yeah, that's that's really powerful. And, yeah, the story of Jesus and, and that woman is is uh, really good to to kind of make the point with that. So when you and I first started, you said that there was a story that took 32 years to reveal. Maybe we could take a few minutes and talk about that before we before we finish up. Yeah, so I was uh, I was listening to um, to this. Gosh, how long ago was this? I think I was like forty two, forty four years old. So this is uh, eleven years ago. So I'm in my car, and I'm listening to John Eldridge, and he says this comment, he says, God knows a father's heart. And then I had this flashback. So when I was 12 years old, I was, I love bicycles. I mean, the BMX bicycle had just kind of become a big deal. Uh, my age group were the ones that first started jumping the trash cans and doing all the crazy tricks and all that. And so I loved it. And so dad asked me, what do you want for your, for Christmas? And I said, I want a I want a bike that's, you know, cause I'd like customize my bike, but it was, it was a swim and it weighed like 400 pounds. So it, it wasn't, yeah. a, it, it was a good bike, but it wasn't built for that. And, uh, and this is actually, this story is in the book. Uh, I think it's Ziegler on selling. So, so we go down to the bike mark in Richardson, Texas, and we, and it's right before Christmas and we go in and the manager is working with a grandmother and 
her granddaughter and the granddaughter's about six. And the manager looks up at dad and says, sir, I'm going to, I'm helping her. When I'm done, I'll help you. And of course, dad, he's filling out of his element. He doesn't speak bicycle. I mean, it's like a whole language. It's like anything when you really get into it. It's, it's crazy. So he's, he's like one to get me this. So we go in and he overhears the conversation. So the grandmother says, I want to get my granddaughter, this bike right here. And he points at this bike. And the manager says, man, that's a great bike. You know, that'll do her well. So he calls the granddaughter over who was riding around the store on another bike. And she comes over, she gets on the bike, and it's too big. Her feet barely touch the pedals. She can barely reach the steering wheel. The frame is just too big. And the manager says, "Uh, ma'am, this is a great bike. It's too big for your, your granddaughter. But the one she was driving around the store, it's actually the same company, the same model. It's just a smaller frame and a different color, which she obviously likes because she picked it. Uh, get her that bike. It fits her perfectly. And the grandmother said, no, I want this bike. And the manager says, why do you want that bike? And she said, well, the neighbor has that bike. I want her to have the same thing the neighbor does. And the, the manager says, well, ma'am, I'd love to give her that bike, but you know she's not going to be able to enjoy it for at least six months, maybe a year or two until she grows into it. And the grandmother says, no, I want her to have that bike. And the manager says, well, well, ma'am, it's it's just not safe. And she says, no, I want this bike. And the manager said, look, if she's going down the driveway and she has to stop to avoid a car, she may not be able to operate it. I can't sell you this bike. I wouldn't be able to sleep. So she leaves mad because he wouldn't sell her the bike. Wow. The manager looks at my dad and says, how can I help you? And he says, my son needs a bike. Get him whatever he wants. So dad wrote about that in that book. And it was all these sales principles. So now, 32 years later, I'm listening to John Eldridge and that story comes into my mind. Hmm. God knows a father's heart. So God knew that my dad wanted to get me the perfect Christmas present. And God also knew there was only one way that dad would know it was the perfect gift. And that was to show up at that exact moment in time and witness a professional who knew biking, who had unquestioned character in, in his work. And I broke down in the car. Mm. I just thought, so good. I just thought that whole story was about a guy with integrity. No, it was about God orchestrating a moment because he knew my dad's heart. It's so powerful because when I think of the role of fatherhood, when I think about what you and I are talking about here, we're not talking about just a guy who has children. We're talking about this opportunity, you know, that God knows a father's heart. What does it mean to have a father's heart? Well, clearly in this story, as you're telling it to me, I hear your dad had a father's heart, right? That he wanted to give you the best. But he put your dad in touch with this other man 
who I don't know if he was a dad, the manager of the store, I would assume. But regardless of if he had kids, he had a father's heart. And he's running a store not based on just profitability, but about running it from the stance of a posture towards life that I am responsible for whatever comes across my path. Even if I'm going to lose out on a sale, I'm going to do what's right and responsible because I have a posture towards life of that of a father's heart. Yep. Love that. And if our world, like if us men understood that opportunity that we have, because it's not just, I mean, yes, it's character. Yes, it's integrity. Yes, it's doing the right thing. But all of that is this, this acknowledgement that I have a responsibility to do right by anything and everything that comes before me, that I have the opportunity to bring life, not death. I mean, that's a father's heart. And that's the opportunity that us men who, that's the opportunity we have. That's right. And what better, what, what more glorious opportunity in the world is there than that? Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just. And that's that sense. We're all wanting this fulfillment, right? And we live in a world where every single thing's at my fingertips. So I'm constantly absorbing content and images and shows and food, whatever. Uh, and there's this fulfillment that we're longing for, which can really only come. I mean, from the truth, if we're just going to straight be honest, that's where it's coming from, right? Is, is, is from our creator. Um, but then there's this role that we get to play once we know who we are. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what I learned from dad is dad was always tapping into the source. Um, he, he came to all of me and my sisters many times and apologized. Hmm. And I'm like, what are you apologizing for? And he said, well, I don't think I handled that as well as I could. We didn't even know. <laughs> I mean, it was like we weren't hurt or offended, but his he was never there to be right. He was there to do what was right. What a freeing life to live, right? If you think about that, it's not even that he felt, it's not that you even felt wronged. But if, I mean, I think so many of us men, we carry such weight of so much stuff we've thrown under this rug inside of our heart or soul or whatever. And, and to be able to live free where I can offend my son at nine years old. I mean, I've done this and go and say, dude, I, I shouldn't have done it that way. I'm really sorry. It's like keeping my soul just empty of, of burdens. That's right. We weren't meant to carry those. Mm. And you don't have to. You don't have to. The hard part is dropping them and then leaving them dropped. <laughs> to me. Right. And right? learning and growing from them, right? Yeah. To, to yeah. reflect and go, okay, I don't want to do that again. And it's not that I don't want to have to apologize again. I'll, I'll apologize. But I don't want to offend. Ah, uh, so this is incredible. So good. So I want to end with my last question, um, which is what is the legacy that you're leaving? So, you know, your daughter, you said is 25, let's say 10 years from now, you are standing on the street, peering through the window of her home and you see her with her family. What is it that you hope to see? Now it's interesting because you live in such an, an amazing, like legacy level family. But when you peer through that window, what is it that you see? And you know that from your dad to you, to her, you see, what, what do you see? Gosh, you know, to me, the, the key word here is intentionality. Um, just like I, tr I try to be intentional with 
the most important things with the with the legacy lessons what i want to see is her with her child someday she's she's not married uh i do have a grand puppy so <laughs> uh but you know she's planning on getting married and and i'm sure i'll have grandkids and so 10 years from now i would like to see her you know passing on that tradition that legacy that intentional teaching of hey this is how we do it uh there's a there's a there's a saying and it's kind of texan you know we it's men okay there's two you could say there's two kinds of dads there's two kinds of men those who take total responsibility for their family and those who abdicate it and so i think we've got to take total ownership and responsibility for our family. Nobody else is going to teach them the way we mm. do, right? Nobody. And so we got to own that and we got to step into it. And so even now, uh, you know, one of the things that I, this is a great little tip, you know, if you're reading a book, then it's, it's, and it's inspiring you and it's giving you ideas and it's lifting you up. Start thinking about what in that book reminds me of your kids, and then put little notes to your kids in there, you know, you know, so I'll say, Alexandra, this reminds me of you right now. Underline it. And if you have a more personal note, that's great. So what happens to these books? They become treasures. Wow. Right. They become really like that. They become legacy. And so I'm an audio guy. I love audible. Right. And, And so when I, when I find, well, guess what? You can't do an audible, right? You can't easily but the, so if you're an audible guy, awesome. When you get that book that turns you on buy the hard copy and the second time through, read it through your dad's eye, a dad's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You marked up choose to win. Yeah, yeah. Read it, read it as a dad to your kid and start writing your children's names in there. Oh, this reminds, and you can say, I remember when you stuck up for your friend at school, that's courage, right? That's, this is who you are. And you leave the books around and you say, man, I made a note about you. Well, what are they going to do? They're going to get curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they're going to do. One of the things that you had said in our, pre, in our kind of pre-conversation around the legacy, which I think just makes it so real, because I think we all go, yeah, I'm going to teach my kids. Yeah, I'm going to guide my kids. Yeah. But, you know, and you talk about it and choose to win habits. You know, so habits, when we think of habits, I think all of a sudden things come into our mind about ourselves that we probably know are not the best habits. And when you think about legacy, you had made the comment, you're transferring wisdom, values, and habits. And I think that can be almost a conviction moment to go, okay, let me write down my habits. Do I want to look through that window in 15, 20, 30 years and see my kids doing this, 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 and these habits. If I don't, like you said, there's two kinds of dads. It's your responsibility to change that. And how much more powerful, you might not want to change it for yourself. You might not want to quit smoking cigarettes for yourself, for example, just to pick something easy. But if you see your kid 25 years down the road, you might go, I really hope he doesn't. Well, if you hope he doesn't, then it's your opportunity to set him up for success. Yeah. You know, habits are you know, 
to me, it's everything. Uh, you can't determine your future, but you can determine your habits and your habits determine your future. So good. So I was working with a, uh, a guy. Is, I think I mentioned him in the book. His name is Tyson Murphy. And he comes in. We're coaching. And he's got a blended family. So they've got littles and bigs. Okay. Mm. And so we talk about some stuff and I say, you know what, one of the, what you can do is you can, you can claim the words that you want your family to be known for. So it could be love. It could be honesty. It could be compassion, uh, you know, kindness, courage. It doesn't any word, right. That you want. I said, why don't you, um, why don't you start doing a little post-it note and every day when you send the, the littles and the bigs out to school, Write each of them a little note. And when you can, just put one of those words in there. Hey, you're so, you know, to the eight-year-old, hey, you know, your mom told me about how you stood up for your friend. You're so, you're, you've got, you're so courageous, right? So less than a month later, he's back in my office and his wife is there and she's like, she starts talking, then she starts crying. And she's like, what have you done to my husband? <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know what is what happened. Well, yeah, yeah. And so what had happened is the first couple of weeks of him giving the notes, all the kids were like, what is this? You know, right. this, this is weird. And by the end of the third week, they're all waiting around for their note. And then about maybe six months or a year later, uh, he calls me and he says, hey, I need you to pray for this. So one of his, his daughters kind of had her first boyfriend and I think they're both 15 and it was a chaperone. It was, it was all, you know, it was all fine. It's just kind of that first. And he said, um, her boyfriend's parents are divorced and his dad was killed. This just happened. And he said, Tom, I didn't know what to do when I saw him because we love this kid. He's a good kid. And so I wrote him a note and I just was quiet because I said, Tyson, he's going to get that note and then he's going to talk to your daughter and say, what's your dad left me a note. What's that? You know, what does that mean? And she's going to tell him what he does for you. And so that's how intentionality and legacy can expand <laughs> to not just our kids, but who they do life with. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I just look at that story and I think, you know what? Um, Tyson had to look weird for a couple of weeks. Yeah. That, and that's the thing. That's the thing that I go with that story. If for dudes listening, if we can embrace the vulnerability to look a little awkward, to be a little silly to get a side look from our wife. Like maybe we've been not intentional for 10 years, right? We stopped doing all that stuff, you know, once we settled into the status quo, but it doesn't matter how much you make, where you live, what your job is or how much time you have, you can do something like that. Yep. And it's going to have more impact. It's going to have impact. I don't want to compare it, but it's going to have impact. Um, and so it's like, do you want to be that guy? You do. If you do, you're going to have to make a little plan and you're going to have to do it. And when 
everybody's looking at you weird, you're going to just have to push through and know that there's some purpose behind it because 95% of people aren't living in that intentional space. So nope. they're going to look at you strange or make jokes or whatever, but you know that there's a bigger, deeper responsibility that you have. And so it's worth going after. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's built moment by moment. It's It's not looking out at the mountain and saying, I'm going to mine through that mountain tomorrow. That's not what it's about. <laughs> it's about, you know what? I'm going to go move a, you know, a little stone tomorrow. And then I'm going to move a stone the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And it's the consistency over time. It's the intentionality. It's the example of, you know what? It doesn't matter if it's raining, if it's snowing, if it's 110, if you didn't get any sleep the night before, if you don't feel like it, it's the fact that you're just there saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Not because of what you did, but because you're mine. Mm. Mm. Tom, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you for sharing your wisdom on life, fatherhood, marriage, parenting, business, all the good stuff. And I think it's just such an incredible example, you know, how you shared a couple times uh, that you have been studying this Jewish tradition and that you are such a great example of, you know, you're studying this, it seems as though kind of after the fact of you got to live that, you know, you got to live that. And and how incredible because that tradition, that legacy, um, and you're doing it with your daughter. And I think that's what so much of us long for and want. And you are an incredible example of that, taking that legacy. And it's not just a, I mean, it's, it's not just my dad. It's I'm taking my dad and then I'm taking it here. And uh, that's just incredible. So I, I thank you for all that you do and for your time today. All right. Thank you. What a blessing. Well, how you feeling? Such good stuff. I've been so inspired to claim my family words to dig into continuing to be the intentional father I want to see in the mirror. Friends, the comment Tom made, the most powerful story is the one you tell yourself. So good. So good. Hey, every Monday I put out the Fatherhood Field Notes podcast interviewing great dads like Tom. If you're interested in a shorter podcast, I put one out every Friday, which still falls under the Rebellum Create, but it's called Craft of Fatherhood, where I discuss a question sent to me by fathers. If you'd like, email me a question and I'd love to discuss it at ned at rebellandcreate.com. Please take a moment to write a review on iTunes. It will help spread the word that you and I believe fathers have the potential to change the world through loving and serving our families. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. Talk to you next time.